0: This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by ForTheGloryOfOldState.com. I'm Craig and Rosala, alongside Brandon Musso. How are you doing today, Brandon? It could be better after yesterday's game, but uh, we'll move on. Absolutely. And as Brandon said, it um, could have been better yesterday out in Minnesota. Penn State suffered a 31-26 loss against the Golden Gophers. Penn State is now 8-1, and, and their only loss is in conference, obviously, while the Gophers... Went to nine and zero for their first time since 1904, which I know Penn State fans expect Penn State to be nine and zero basically every year, and if not 12 and zero, but you know it goes to show how down Minnesota has been um, in their in their history, considering they went nine zero for the first time uh, since 1904. So all we're doing is a little recap of uh, what happened yesterday. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about in terms of gameplay, coaching, um, the opponent, and also looking ahead to what Penn State has on their schedule and how they they still have a chance to um, reach their season goals this season. So Penn State got the opening kick yesterday, and they looked sharp to start the game. And that all ended, though, on a interception to Antoine Winfield Jr., who on that play collected his sixth interception of the season. The throw looked a little bit short to Justin Shorter. However, in my opinion, Brandon can elaborate on this, it looked like he was falling off balance when the ball was at its high point, and that's when Winfield won the play, and Shorter was just falling down.
1: Did it appear that way to you, Brandon? Yeah, I mean, Clifford definitely didn't have uh, one of his best games, especially in the beginning. You could see that there was some... Inaccurate throws and throws that just just weren't where they were supposed to be. Um, and on that particular play, I definitely saw, you know, that there was, it was definitely underthrown. But Shorter could go up and make that play. Winfield, obviously, just a better player in that situation, went up and got it and won the battle
0: for sure. And it was a sign of things to come yesterday for Justin Shorter, who he really really struggled. And unfortunately for me, I predicted that he had a huge game, and <laughs> yeah, they gave did. him plenty of opportunities to do oh, that, God but he yeah. just did not come through. Yep. So. Even though it was an interception, it was essentially a punt, and Minnesota was pinned back at their own 5-yard line. But they drove right down the field, and the big play came to Rashad Bateman, who scored on a 66-yard touchdown pass from Tanner Morgan, and that was also a sign of things to come yesterday as well. Right, Brandon?
1: Yeah, uh, that play in particular just seemed to me like a, a secondary uh, breakdown. Um, if you watch the tape back, you could see... They bring Lamont Wade in on the blitz, which leaves Sutherland to kind of cover that man way over, and he's all the way in the middle of the field at yep. that point. And you can see there's just a little bit of hesitation when before he moves over there, and by the time he gets over there, it's way too late. The ball's already yep. thrown. The guy's already streaking down the sideline, and it's done for.
0: Yep. And with all the momentum Minnesota had at the, that point, they force a turnover. They score on a big play. Their crowd is rocking at TCF Bank Stadium and Penn State answers right back with a huge touchdown from Journey Brown. He scores from 45 yards out untouched, and Penn State ties the game at 7-7 with a really good answer. However, Minnesota got the ball back, and they continued to execute their offense perfectly as they drove down the field to make it 14-7. Penn State answered back with a a field goal, although it looked like they were driving for a touchdown. And going into the next Penn State drive, this was a game-changer, in my opinion, was the Sean Clifford interception to Antoine Winfield. And it seemed Penn State was on the doorstep of scoring. Clifford throws a pass up for K.J. Hamler. A very questionable no-call on defensive pass interference, which also seemed to be a theme of the day, was pass interferences and yep. uh, the refs and making questionable calls or not making questionable calls. And I thought this was the changing point in, in the game. Like, what do you think?
1: Yeah, there was definitely a lot of contact there when watching that. You know, I didn't see it initially, you know, just because the the play happened fast. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, still, when you slow it down, you could could definitely see that there was a lot of contact before the ball got there. Um, Definitely could have thrown the flag there. And it really did change the momentum because, you know, at that point, Minnesota was driving down the field on offense, like every single time they got the ball. But Penn State seemed to be answering um, Mm -hmm. the bell after that. Yeah, for sure. And looking at replays, not only did it look like he, you know, basically got tackled
0: on the play, but it also looked like um the Minnesota defender grabbed K J Handler's face mask on the play, and obviously that's a penalty in in all aspects of the game. That that seemed to change the game. It gave Minnesota all the momentum, it stopped Penn State, then Minnesota goes up twenty one to ten, then eventually twenty four to ten. But going into halftime, Penn State did salvage a field goal to make it twenty four to thirteen. So with the first half, Minnesota went up and down the field. I believe Tanner Morgan only had two uh, two incompletions, and they were so efficient. They were able to run the ball. They, were, they made the Penn State secondary look silly, honestly. Uh, there was no pass rush, which, to James Franklin's credit, I guess, if you listen to his press conference on Tuesday, he said this is exactly the style of game Minnesota wants to play. They have a great offensive line. They have great wide receivers, which we saw all day long. Mm-hmm. And when they get... Ahead, they want to drain the clock, they want to win the time of possession battle, and they were doing that throughout the first half. Then in the second half, uh, Minnesota actually got the opening kickoff. Penn State was able to put them behind the chains. They had a couple negative plays, which there were no negative plays for the Minnesota offense in the first half. And then Penn State was able to regather themselves, and on offense, the touchdown pass to Nick Bowers put them at a 24-19 game with the opportunity for a two-point conversion. What did you think of the decision to go for two there?
1: I didn't really like it at the time just because um, they came out of the half and that was a huge touchdown that they needed. Um, and you just kick the, you kick the extra point, you get the, you get the point. Two points is just too risky at that point. I've always been a firm believer that you don't go for two until you desperately need it at the end of the mm-hmm. game. So I feel like you know, early in the third quarter, it wasn't the time to go for it. Um, so you just kick the extra point and you move on to the next drive. I agree with you as well, because looking back, if you're in the first half, Penn State had the
0: opportunity. They were, what was it, fourth and goal at the two, mm-hmm. right before halftime, and there was eventually a penalty, too, where they could have shortened the distance, gotten to the one. But James Franklin decided to go for the points there, which I thought was the correct move. Get the points. You don't need Minnesota getting any more momentum going to halftime. I agree. Now, in that situation, going for two, it felt like the same thing. Just keep getting points. It wasn't a case of, you know, I think there was four minutes left in the third quarter when they scored that touchdown. It wasn't a case of, all right, you know, we're stopping Minnesota from scoring now. Like, Penn State's defense didn't show that ability throughout the day. But if you just got it 24-20, kept it going. But, I mean, at the same time, I guess, if we were able to convert the two-point conversion, we'd be saying how it was an excellent call and Penn State's only down three at this point. What I did not like as from a play-calling standpoint was we're getting the ball to not one of our playmakers and Ricky Slade he's a second or third running back at this point right and i thought the screen pass going all the way to the the side of the field gave minnesota defenders a chance to rally around the football it was it's a long pass they have the opportunity and the time to to get there and ricky slade just not being one of our playmakers i just thought was maybe the wrong guy to get it to and maybe the wrong play but Play calling is another issue we we'll get to. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. Don't yeah. Worry. So with that, Minnesota gathered a little bit of momentum after the uh, touchdown, and they staged a drive themselves. The huge play on that was Penn State had an opportunity. It was a third and ten for the Golden Gopher offense, and the Penn State defense allows a thirty-six yard pass to Rashad Bateman yet again. And on that, Tariq Castro Fields was in zone coverage. He deferred to Jonathan Sutherland, who was supposed to have the safety help behind him, and it just did not pan out that way. Um, from there, Minnesota scored a touchdown to go up 31-19, and it seemed like Penn State was really, really down now, and down and out at this point. But, as they did throughout the day, they came back, and they were able to salvage a drive where they got a first and goal with about 12 minutes left, and from there, it was very, very questionable play calling on the part of offensive coordinator Ricky Ronnie. They went with a run, another run, both with Devin Ford, and then those runs were stuffed and then Sean Clifford on third down went for a QB scramble, and he actually lost a yard. They had a decision go fourth and goal. they could have kicked the field goal from inside the five again, which they did in the first half with no time left, but then. To make it a 31-22 to game, they could have kicked a field goal. Or if they actually went for the extra point on the drive before that, it could have been 31-23 and still a one-possession game. But with it being a two-possession game, regardless of the touchdown or the field goal, they went for, went for it on fourth and goal. And I thought that was the right decision. Do you think that was the right decision as well to go for it on fourth and goal there?
1: Yeah, I mean... After, you know, you just talked about it, um, after they made the decision to go for two on their previous touchdown, I think they kind of, and they didn't get it, I think that the, it was kind of locked in that they, you know, they needed to go for a touchdown in that situation. As far as the, the play calling, um, you need to come up with something better on fourth down. I'm not a fan of the fade, regardless of who's running it. I think it's, the, like, low, very low percentage play, mm-hmm. um, very low success rate. I don't think that, like, and that was the, the worst thing they could have done um, not to mention they ran it with Hamler, who's probably one of the smallest guys on the team, cool. um, and it just wasn't the right play. I mean, they, I think they could have drawn up something better. Um, it seemed like a lazy play call, and it just didn't work out. Obviously, as Brandon said, they Penn State went for a
0: fade route with the five foot nine and about 170 pound KJ Hamler. KJ Hamler is a great playmaker, but he's a playmaker in space, not in the air. When I think of somebody that I want going up for a fade route, I think if if anybody, it'd be Pat Fryermuth. Mm-hmm. Or, if Justin Shorter is playing well, Justin Shorter at six foot four should be the guy, but I thought it was the wrong play call to the wrong player right and it it just it wasn't well scripted in my opinion, what their game plan was on the um that drive inside the five at that point, yep, but once again, Penn State was able to hold and they get the ball back actually they hold and then they get away with the delay of game. On the ensuing drive on a Journey Brown touchdown, they drove the field, and Journey Brown scored from about uh, six yards out to make it 31-26. to 26. So it's just a one-possession game somehow, even though it seemed <laughs> as if Penn State was getting dominated all day long. yep. They hold again. They did survive a scare where uh, there's too many men around K.J. Hamler on the punt return. Uh, it hits off somebody's back or hits off Hamler's hands, and the ball goes flying. <laughs> Penn State did recover. They had the ball back with about 240 left at their own 28. After an injury on the Journey Brown touchdown, it appeared that Sean Clifford was a man on a mission on the sidelines coming out of the injury tent. And for the first part of that drive, he was. He was. They drive down the field once again. They're set up with a first and 10 at the Minnesota 11-yard line with just under two minutes left. And the opportunity, even with no timeouts, they had the opportunity to bleed clock. Knowing they had to get a touchdown and that you know, they're gonna be throwing the ball, so even incompletion is not too bad, but they had the opportunity to run as well, and mix it up. Yep. <laughs> they have a huge play inside the ten to Journey Brown, who takes a pass out of the backfield, goes up the middle of the field, and he gets down to the one yard line to make it I believe it was third and goal at the time. And so third and goal at the one, that's a, a great situation for Penn State. And it looks like they're gonna be able to pull this game out with one Final great play on offense, but on the Journey Brown reception, the official calls for an offensive pass interference on Daniel George. Daniel George, yes, it appeared that they were setting up a play for Journey Brown to get him in space, and Daniel George was a man who was you know setting up to clear space for him with that that pick kind of play, right. which everybody runs in college football. Yeah, it, it looked as if. The Minnesota defender initiated contact, and Dale George didn't even extend his arms for a block or anything. He was just standing there, and eventually it looked like he was going out for a route to the corner Mm -hmm. as well. And this was a very, very uh, questionable call, more so
1: in that spot in the game by the officials. And (laughs) what do you have to say about it? Well, I mean, looking back at it, um, from what I saw, it didn't even seem like they called it... I think because of the defender that was behind the guy that Daniel George was blocking. And, like, Daniel George, like you said, didn't extend his arm for a block. He was just, like, going out for a pass. It just so happens that that defender got stuck behind his own uh, teammate, Mm -hmm. and that's what I think they got the call from. But it wasn't like Daniel George was going out and taking out two guys on a pick play. He was just going out for the route and got locked up with one guy, and they called it because the other guy got uh, stuck behind him.
0: Now after that offensive pass interference, Penn State went from having a third and goal at the one-yard line to having second and 24, which is obviously completely different. And with that, you can see they're trying a little bit more downfield passing to get into the end zone quickly. Really changed their whole game plan at that point. Then it was third and 24, Sean Clifford drops back to pass. He's looking. It's unclear if he's looking for Jahan Dotson or if he's looking for K.J. Hamler, but regardless... The pass is intercepted in the end zone. There was also the, uh, you know, a possible questionable no call on the pass interference call. Uh, Jahan Dotson, Dotson. Looked like he got yeah. hit or pulled, and even if the pass wasn't intended for him, it was very, it was close enough where he was in the picture frame. And he could pretty much see it, and then Dotson was uh, pleading with the refs for pass interference. And then after the game, Franklin said to reporters that. He saw Pat Frymuth get tackled on the play, which I didn't see in the replay. Yeah, I didn't even see where very, he was on the field at that point. But very interesting that, you know, there's possibly two opportunities for Penn State to pick up interference, and with that, it would be a automatic first down, and then they'd be set up with their great field position again. But, um, you know, at that point, game was over. Penn State had no timeouts left, and Minnesota was just able to set up in victory formation. Obviously, it was a huge win for the Golden Gophers. Their fans storm the field. They they hold up the uh, the, the victory bell. Um, that's the um, the official trophy of this Minnesota and Penn State rivalry. Minnesota walks through with a thirty-one to twenty-six victory. A little bit of um, salt in the wound was Minnesota's um, PA system playing "The Lion Sleeps Tonight" on on the, the speakers, and then also after that playing um Prince's party like it's 1999 which if you're going back in Penn State history and I'm sure some of our fans will a lot of our fans will remember this when Penn State was 9 and 0 back in 1999 Minnesota beat Penn State on a last second field goal in Beaver Stadium to end Penn State's perfect season so a little bit of history there and the Minnesota fans and their faithful were very much into it overall it was a tough loss for Penn State especially um, considering it ends their perfect season, it makes it a, a little bit tougher to reach their goals this season of a Big Ten title as well as a college football playoff appearance. So getting to some talking points about this game after we recapped it. We, we dove into it a little bit. The, the defensive pass interference on the, the second interception by Antoine Winfield, Jr. of Minnesota. Just, you have to call that. You have to call yeah, that. As, sure. as much as the officials were letting the players... Play today. There weren't too many penalties throughout the game, but the, the defensive pass interference was a, a no call. There, like it <laughs> was an atrocious, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think probably the bigger talking point here is the Ricky Ronnie play calling early in the fourth quarter inside the ten.
1: Yeah. So I've never been like the biggest plant, the fan of Ronnie. You know, I, I was really kind of underwhelmed uh, by him really all last season, and obviously everyone will give him slack for the. Uh, fourth down play call last yes. year against Ohio State. Um that was a big one. For me, he just continues to be disappointing. Like I like we talked about the red zone appearance that they had three runs and then a the fade to Hamler. Like I don't yeah. I don't get it. Like it doesn't make sense to me. Um very low percentage plays like and you need a touchdown in that situation. It's not like you can just go ahead and try out anything you want. Like and it was just like very uh not creative, like three runs. And then the fade like it just I think that he could be a lot better, and i think I mean people give him a lot of a lot of heat a lot of heat but and a lot of it's deserved, and then there's you know there's people on the other side of it who think he doesn't get enough credit, but like the bottom line is he just hasn't been good enough for this team, and really, I'd like to see uh them get a little more creative in that situation sure.
0: um because i mean if you look we've watched this Penn State team play nine games now the strength of this team is big plays in both the passing game and the running game. And if you look at throughout the game yesterday, Penn State's rushing yards didn't come from 8, 9 yard chunks consistently. They came from a 45 yard run and a 35 yard thirty-five yard run by Journey Brown. And in a situation where we need 5 yards, that hasn't really been our strength to just, alright, we're going to let our offensive line take over, we're going to pound the ball into the end zone and that's how we're gonna score. We we just haven't been that team this year. We definitely we needed a little bit of creativity to get the the football into the end zone there and just did not happen. Also, I thought in that situation, I was clamoring for it all day long, getting the ball to Pat Fryermuth there. Yeah. It seemed not you know, not just in the red zone, like literally and had the every hot hand the whole single day. play he was open. Mm-hmm. And Minnesota was, not that they're forgetting about him, but their scheme was to defend against K.J. Hamler. Right. And, but Pat Frymuth was wide open. It seemed every play, every third down, he he executed. And in the red zone, he executed. And Pat Frymuth was amazing. He had seven receptions for 101 yards. And quite honestly, he could have had over 10 receptions and maybe over 150 yards if we actually looked for him on every play like yeah. I thought we could have. And, you know... Pat Fryer, he's displaying late in the season now that he's probably the top tight end in the country. And if he's not right now, he will be going to next year's junior season when he's going to be eligible for the NFL draft. And enjoy him now, Penn State fans, because he's not here. <laughs> yeah. He's not here after 2020. He's not.
1: Yeah, so in that situation, obviously I agree with you like 100%. Um, get the ball to him. And you mentioned we haven't been that team that, you know, we just let the offensive line take over and just pound it off the middle when we have been that kind of team, it's been with Noah Kane. Yes. And obviously there was some sort of injury that he suffered in the Michigan state game. They kept him out. Mm-hmm. So he's not in there. So you can't do that with what Devin Ford was in for those two first run plays yeah. on first, and second down, like just the wrong guy to pound it up the middle with. And like, I think you have to realize and recognize that you don't have the guy that you need to pull that off. Mm-hmm. So you need to go somewhere else or come up with something else because Running it up the middle with Devin Ford because Kane's not there is not what you should be doing.
0: Now, it's funny you mentioned Noah Kane and kind of he was kind of forgotten because he did not play. But James Franklin was asked about him on Tuesday in his press conference, and he said that both Noah Kane and John Reed were both going to be available, and he seemed fairly confident in that. And John Reed obviously played all game, but Noah Kane, we saw him on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. He warmed up, he was in uniform, but they said on the broadcast that. He was an emergency only. I guess being down 12 on the road and your perfect season online line is an emergency. That's, <laughs> I, I guess. But, yeah. um, you know, they they decided to um, go with Devin Ford there. And I don't think it was more so Devin Ford's fault as opposed to calling. Putting him in that situation. Yeah. Yes. There's obviously the offensive of pass interference on um, Daniel George that obviously did not go our way. The big issue, you know, we're looking at small samples here. The big issue all day long was the secondary play.
1: Yeah. It was a mess. Yeah. It was a mess. So the zone that they were running um uh, which they have been all year, um, but, you know, segueing into another um issue is the defensive line play. And I've said it I've said it throughout the year in all of my predictions, defensive line is what makes your secondary looked good. Yes. And since I don't know, even before the Iowa game, the defensive line has just been non-existent. They haven't gotten the pressure that they've used to. They haven't gotten the sacks that they've used to. That they were used to. They haven't got the tackles for a loss that they're used to. Mm-hmm. And in this game, it was like more of the same. And I think that's why the secondary looked so bad. Um, and on top of the that, um, they had a lot of issues with communication in their yes. in their zone defense. Um, a lot of guys didn't know who they were getting and dropping off the receiver to another guy and the other guy's not ready and it just seemed like it was like a mess throughout the whole thing it didn't seem like anyone was communicating on the field and if you look back at almost all of those touchdowns all of those big plays that they had it was more of the same of that same thing where you had no idea who was supposed to be covering them and if they were they were 10 yards away from them because there was just nothing that they could do about it at that point
0: yeah, Minnesota, as great as their receivers were, they weren't necessarily winning 50-50 balls. Right. There was obviously the one touchdown catch where um, the receiver caught it one-handed over Keaton Ellis. But yeah, that everything, was nice was, catch, yeah. everything was in space, and a lot of space. it was wide open. <laughs> um, you mentioned the defensive line. I thought it, it was more we were playing very strong against the run, and which is good, obviously, but it's been surprising to me that they haven't been able to get the quarterback as much as I thought they would this year, considering uh Gross Matos was back. Tony
1: is really a pass rush. Well, especially specialist. how they started the season. Yeah. Really high. I mean,
0: they have the ten sacks against Purdue. Obviously not having Antonio Shelton in there, um, because of his suspension from the Michigan State game. Right. That that hurts. But I mean, I was looking for plays where yeah. you're one of your favorite players to watch, Jason O. I'm like, we need Jason O in there to yes yeah. that a sack like we needed a negative play mm-hmm. all throughout the first half. now Penn State's defense did gather themselves a little bit in the second half and play much better but it became too little too late. Minnesota it wasn't necessarily they were stalling their drives they were playing a lot more conservatively though right and Penn State was able to take advantage of that a little bit um, so that's basically you know the recap of the game some of the the key talking points in the game as well. Um, even with this loss against Minnesota, I think now I don't, don't think it's very likely. I mean, when you lose on the road at Minnesota, how likely are you to go to Columbus and pull off an upset against the number one team in the country who by all accounts has been insanely dominant this year, even yesterday without their best player, defensive lineman, Chase Young, the Buckeyes have looked incredible. Um, but there is still definitely a scenario, whether Penn State fans believe it or not, that Penn State could reach the college football playoff. Now, I will, me and Brandon will go back and forth and kind of dive into uh, what, what needs to happen for Penn State to, to reach that point. First and foremost, for, for Penn
1: State, they need to beat Indiana next week. <laughs> yeah. Indiana's a good team. <laughs> Yeah, we had a lot of people uh, jumping ahead to Ohio State yes. before this game even happened. Yes. And uh, I think me and you are both uh, advising that people pump the brakes a little bit. Yes, and both, you know, within our page
0: and both and nationally as well, many people have been looking ahead, oh, and oh, Penn State versus 10-0 Ohio State. Yeah, Indiana's a pretty good team. I, boy, they have two losses this year. Yeah. This deep in the season. I mean, they're already eligible for a bowl. This is one of the better Indiana teams in recent history. Yep. So we need to beat Indiana and it's next week at noon, coming off a loss. I'm sure the stadium is not gonna be as packed capacity. <laughs> yep. It's gonna be kind of a, a, a very quiet Saturday
1: morning, or Saturday afternoon it's gonna seem like yeah. in Happy Valley. So we need to win that game first and foremost. Yeah, so there's one one thing I wanna address with that. Um and frankly I discussed it in the post game press conference. Um, and that's their ability to pick themselves up after a loss. And we've yes. seen over the last couple of years, when they suffer a deflating loss, they, they have the next one. couple of games they kind of deflate, and it just seems like they never get back to themselves. And you know we saw that last year when they lost Ohio State, they immediately went out and lost to, uh, after a bye week, yep, lost to, to Michigan, Michigan State. State. Yep. Um, so they so, didn't even had time to recover. And especially this year, this team is very very young. So Franklin needs to be aware of. What the issues have been over the past couple of years after a loss, and he needs to stop the bleeding now um, because that was that was certainly an emotional loss on the road. Um, the undefeated record is gone, um, so I, I think that he needs like, and he he acknowledged it in the press conference that he needs to make sure that that doesn't affect them when they come out again next week against Indiana.
0: The best thing that can happen next week is in the first ten minutes it's fourteen nothing Penn State and. They're, you know, they're able to show that you know there's going to be no letdown. There's going to be no hangover yep. from this, and that's that's the the best thing they need to do. Start fast, yep. So if they beat Indiana, obviously the the big matchup in Columbus, Ohio State should be undefeated. I'm not so sure Rutgers is going to knock off Ohio State next week. <laughs> I'm not no positive. <laughs> not um, confident on that. Fit. I'm I, I'm fairly confident that Ohio State will be a 50 point favorite. <laughs> But I'm, you know, that's that's just talking logistics there. Yeah. Um. So Penn State will be going to Columbus with one loss, and if they can win that game, then they take over as the leader in the Big Ten East. Yep. And yeah, They'll
1: they be on path to go to Indianapolis. Yeah. So this is how I look at it. The road, the road to Indianapolis, uh, goes through Columbus. Yes. And we don't know what's going to happen in the West, but most likely, if Penn State could get through Columbus, um, the road to the playoff goes through Minnesota again. Obviously, yes. they still have to play Iowa, Iowa and Wisconsin. Yep. Um, that so that will sort itself out. So who's going to be playing in coming out of the West for the uh, Big Ten championship? But uh, there is a shot. There is a shot that Penn State could still um, make the playoff. Obviously, you have a. What, eleven and one Penn State team at that time. Yep. At that point who's a Big Ten champion. They beat loss. Ohio State the, the number one or two team in the country. Right. With one lost by what? Were well, they lose by six points yesterday? Five. Five points. Five. Um I I think it's very, very hard for the committee to leave the Penn State yeah. out if that's what if that's what they end up the season as. Um but obviously uh we get a little bit ahead of ourselves here. Um, I mean,
0: I think another thing to as a Penn State fan you need to root for is that Minnesota beats both Iowa and Wisconsin and advances to the Big Ten title yeah. game as an undefeated team. Right. Because then if Penn State... At that point, Minnesota will be a team... They're not going to be 17th in the country anymore. They won't be after this week. They won't be at that point either if they're 12-0. and 0. No. If Minnesota, if Penn State beats Minnesota and they're 12-0 and, and say they're a top-five team and Penn State beats them, they not only beat number two Ohio State, They went on the road to Iowa and won. They beat Michigan, who's trending up right now. Right. But they would avenge their only loss of the year and beat a top five team and be a Big Ten
1: champion. Yeah. There's no reason why they wouldn't be left out of the college football playoffs. Especially over Minnesota. Yes. Yes, at that point.
0: Yes. And I mean, there's some things around the country that I think Penn State fans should root for as well. I think one is um, the Pac 12 situation where say, Oregon and Utah both end up in the Pac-12 championship game at 11-1, and one. I think Penn State should cheer for Utah at that situation, because Oregon's only loss this year is to a, a very good Auburn team, and it was a game that Oregon led the entire way, where Utah's loss was a loss against USC, who is yeah. looking at those losses, you know, they're less comparable um, where Penn State would definitely have the edge in their loss. With that, like, like I said, I'm not sure, you know, you, lo- you go on the road and lose to Minnesota, how likely is it you beat the Buckeyes? I'm not so sure. It's going to be a very, very tough game oh, God, that we'll, yeah. we'll dive into as that week comes along. The path is there, Penn State fans. It is. And if they go and beat Ohio State, you know, all these negative comments that are on our page, they're going to be going right back to being positive. And, I mean... The way this series has gone since James Franklin's been here, every game's a close game. Besides the one in 2015 where Ohio State was, they had all those NFL players like Bosa and Elliott, and those guys were really established at that point. But you look at 2014, well, and that's the what... double overtime game, you look at yeah. 2016, the, the block field goal game, and then 2017 and 2018 were both one-point losses. So it's... It's going to be more than likely a close game. And looking at Penn State's recent history since 2016, this believe it or not, take away the, the two Michigan games; those were debacles: the, the 49-10 in 2016, the 42-7 last year. The five-point loss yesterday was the largest loss points-wise since 2016.
1: Well, we saw the last <laughs> we, we saw the last couple of years in uh, playing Ohio State. Like they Penn State had took the lead into the fourth quarter in both of those games, yes. and Ended up blowing it. Um, it would just like it would be just nice to see if they could finally yeah. uh, buck the trend there and uh, pull one out against Ohio State. But uh, as you said, the road is still there. But it starts next week at Indiana or yes. when Indiana comes to Beaver Stadium. So uh, take it one game at a time, and uh, hopefully that's how this Penn State team looks at it, and uh, they could kind of shake off the emotions from from last week's loss.
0: For sure. Now. Are you ready to get into some of our mailbag questions?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Okay. Um, So first one we'll get into is from Joey Schwartz. And we addressed this a little bit, but he asked, will Penn State ever pony up the money needed to pay for a better offensive coordinator?
1: Um, Well, I don't think it was ever a money thing for the offensive coordinator. Um, As you see, Ronnie has been with Franklin for years now. Um, he's just been tucked away as his uh, quarterback's coach. Um, and this, this boils down to, honestly, just as a loyalty thing. Um, yes. After had left, uh, he trusted Ronnie enough, and he's been with Franklin long enough to give him the promotion to offensive coordinator. Um, so, I mean, I don't think that the money is the issue here. I don't think that if they wanted to go out and get an offensive coordinator, they'll go out and pay for one. Um, and this situation, I think Franklin was just being loyal to a staff mate that's been with them since the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. You look at all these Penn state, um, coaches and a lot of them date back to James Franklin's days at Vanderbilt. Now, Ricky Ronnie, he dates back to when James Franklin was an office coordinator at Kansas state. And Ricky Ronnie was a position coach there. And James Franklin's had him ever since. So it's a close to a 15 year relationship. And, You could say that maybe James Franklin's staff could be better. Uh, Obviously, we talked about the creativity that's Mm -hmm. needed and the play calling early in the fourth quarter. There's a loyalty there, which I I respect very much. I respect that a ton from James Franklin. I think that's um, the reason why Ricky Ronnie's on board. That's the reason why for the Fiesta Bowl a couple years ago that he named him the offensive coordinator for that game and then going forward as well. So I don't think it's a, a money issue. It's a... A loyalty thing from James Franklin, which I highly, highly respect out of um, the Penn State head football coach. Next, touched on this a little bit as well, from Chris Panda Young. Is our secondary really this bad?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it might be. I mean, let's be real. I don't really know what the breakdown was yesterday. Obviously, as I talked about before, I think the defensive line in the early beginnings of the season really made them look good because of the pressure that they were putting on the mm-hmm. quarterback. I'll be interested to see like in the coming weeks how they correct the miscommunications that they had in the secondary. Because if you think back to even the second half against Michigan, there was a lot of the same breakdowns that they were having. There yes. were a lot of wide open receivers. Um, and with a less
0: competent quarterback as well. Exactly. Shape, Patterson.
1: So I think that it's probably a little bit of both. Probably a little bit of the defensive line play. Um, not really helping them out, and from their own uh, mistakes and miscommunications um, in that sense,
0: I think in, on Tuesday, and I you know I read the the articles every week recapping the press conference, I think a key word that I want to hear throughout the week from James Franklin is communication relating to the secondary because like you said it's, it wasn 't good yesterday the communication was not yeah. there, and I think that I want to hear that a lot that we are fixing communication. And as I know, Franklin talks about this preseason and then into the season how they are very, very um, dialed in to their communication and their their tendencies and things like that. And I think that's going to be a key in fixing that. You know, we haven't done too much looking ahead at Indiana just yet, um, but I'm I I know for a fact that if not for this game coming up, but for when Penn State has to travel to Columbus and face Justin Fields and that really, really good Ohio State wide receiving group, they definitely need that. They're going to have to play a lot better than they just played
1: yesterday, so um, that's going to be a huge test for them. Yes. Now,
0: a a very good question here from Brendan Donegan. Um, Has the RPO stunted the development of the offensive line and created a lack of commitment to the run game, and do you think it is time to strap it in favor of an I or pro set? I'll let you dive into that first.
1: Uh, <laughs> we've heard this a lot. Um, this is just what this is just what Penn State is going to do. Like this is their style of offense, um, and unless you want to change that, um, you're going to need another head coach because because mm-hmm. this is what Franklin wants to run. This is what Ronnie is going to run, um, and I don't think it really stunted development of the offensive line. Um,
0: I think the line's been very good this year, obviously. Yeah.
1: And I don't think that they have a lack of commitment to the run game because, I mean, you see it. They have four running backs going at all, every game. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're trying to do their best to get the, the run game going and kind of really be a balanced offense. And definitely I don't think it's to, time to scrap it. Um, I think that the offense has been, um, just even dating back to when Moorhead took over, um, I think this offense has been better than we've seen it. I mean, almost better than last year's team, obviously. Um, But it's been better than I've seen in almost my lifetime. Like this offense is like I don't think Penn State ever was a team that scored this many points. Like they were always a defense first team, Mm -hmm. and I think that this kind of offense really uh, bodes well for like big plays and just kind of more of an electric offense. And so I'm not really ready to go back to the pro set. Um, especially because of the quarterbacks you have and the kind of people that you're recruiting, um, mm-hmm. that would just go against everything that they've recruited for um, in the past couple of years. So I don't. I think that that gives you them like take a step back if you do that kind of yeah. thing.
0: Now I don't think you know looking at Ricky Ronnie and looking at the RPO type of system and the spread system that Penn State runs. This is not a John Donovan issue that we had. <laughs> Years ago, forgot about this guy on on the offense. Um, Yeah, we live to forget that one. Yeah, Um, it's not that type of issue. You know, this when this offense is clicking, they are unstoppable. And we saw it yesterday; they were unstoppable until they get to you know inside the red zone, or they had some turnovers. And James Franklin's talked about this in past weeks too. They they want every possession to end with a kick. Unfortunately. You know, three of those did not end with a kick, you know, a, an extra point, a field goal, or a punt. And that was kind of the difference in the game, I think. But no, I don't think it's the time to scrap it. You know, you can look at the the issues with the running game this year where it's big play or bust. It's not about the offenses in general. Um, that's Um I mean, And we just don't, at the same time, you know, we have five-star recruits in the backfield. But don't forget, we're losing a second-round NFL draft pick from last year. Right. And then... The second overall pick, who was a, a three year starting back the a year, the couple years before that. And I don't expect anybody to step in right away as a freshman or sophomore and beat Saquon Barkley or Miles Sanders. It's it's tough. Right. And, you know, I, I just. It's a little bit of an overreaction. If we win the game, it's a little bit of a yeah. a, a, a moot point. But I think. Uh, thanks for your question there, Brendan. I thought it was a very interesting point. It's one that's talked about a lot, but it's something that you know, certainly could be addressed. And maybe what Penn State fans want is keep the same system, 90% shotgun, whatever, but maybe we get in the goal line, we run some big sets. Maybe, like, maybe we bring in <laughs> an, an extra offensive lineman as a fullback. I, I, I don't think we have a fullback on the roster. Yeah, I wouldn't expect that to so. happen. But No, absolutely not. But I think maybe just, that's what Penn State fans would, would like to see is yeah.
1: for a goal line situation, have a goal line package. It's just, I mean, it's just the way the offense is built. <clears> I mean, you look back at... 2016, um, you know, obviously their Big Ten championship run. That offense was built on big, big plays, mm-hmm. um, getting the ball to your playmaker in space, um, and I think that they're kind of sticking with that. And and for the most part, they've been successful with it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like like you said, they had a couple of uh, issues in the red zone yesterday. Obviously, it didn't work out in their favor. But I don't think that just because that happened, like you're ready to kind of scrap the whole offensive plan that you've put in place. Yep. And Penn State looks at, and you hear this in
0: baseball a lot if you watch MLB Network or ESPN even now, where teams in baseball talk about analytics a lot, and Penn State football, as long, along with other teams and programs throughout the country, they focus on these analytics as well. That's why James Franklin went for two yesterday, that's why he kicked a field goal before halftime, that's why he didn't kick a field goal down 12 yesterday on the fourth and goal. There's... A bunch of different scenarios that tie in with the analytics that they look at, and that's what they go with. And One thing is Penn State looks at big plays. They, they have a completely different game plan from uh, Minnesota head coach P.J. Fleck, where Fleck wants to win the time of possession battle, James Franklin does not care about it. No, he's about the points. He's about the points. The he points. wants the big plays. Yep. Um, because time of possession doesn't win anything on the scoreboard. It really doesn't. But right. the points do. The points do. Um, So that's another, um, I guess, answer to your question, is that the analytics of what Penn State's looking for kind of drive the type of offense they run under Ricky <laughs> Yeah. Now our last question, kind of a, a funnier question, <laughs> I guess, but um, from Michael Mondak. Can Penn State football win a national championship before my 40th birthday in July 2025? When we get to July 2025, we'll be wishing you a happy birthday, Michael. (laughs) I hope you have a nice party for it. So, that's giving Penn State five years to win a national title. The possibility.
1: Yeah. Yes. Why not?
0: Yes. We just talked about it. They have the opportunity to get to the playoff this year with a team that is full of juniors and sophomores. Full of them.
1: Yeah, and if you look ahead, if you're looking ahead two, three years from now, these guys are going to be um, more developed, and yep. not to mention, like there's re- there's recruiting classes coming in behind these mm-hmm. guys. So two, three years from now, you might have another young um, stack of uh, freshmen that are playmakers, yeah. or you might have another KJ Hamler or somebody like that mm-hmm. to come and kind of uh, control the the play, the ball. Yeah, well, I, mean,
0: I mean, coming into the season, everybody kind of assumed that. We would have a good team. Obviously, we were preseason uh, top 15. Kind of looking ahead to, to 2020, being like, all right, by then, this crop of players is going to be developed. They're going to be experienced, and that, that would be the year to win. We're in a 8-1. We're, we're in a good spot. We're in a, we're in a good spot still. It's not undefeated. I think Penn State fans are they're obviously upset by the loss, but they're more upset that it happened to Minnesota, who traditionally isn't a great program. You know, this is their best team in recent memory. Right. And, you know.
1: Yeah, just be just hilarious. be happy that uh, we can't look back and say this is our first and 9-0 record since yeah. 1904 or yeah, exactly. 1908, whatever it was. Exactly.
0: I mean, in, in putting it in perspective, this is Minnesota's biggest game in a long, long time. And, and kind of putting it in a Penn State fan's perspective, think back during our down years early in the 21st century. Um, you know, obviously we didn't make a bowl game in 2000, 2001, 2003, 2004. But in 2005, we were undefeated. We just clobbered Minnesota at home. And we were playing Ohio State, who was the sixth ranked team in the country. It was the whiteout. It was one of the first whiteouts. The crowd was going insane. Game day was there. And it was our biggest game in recent memory. You know, we've had, there were some big games, like the Miami game. Miami it was probably the best team in college football history, you had Nebraska come in. But this was finally the team to, that we had to gain national attention and this was Minnesota's game in that respect as well. And they just came out and executed kinda of like we did in two thousand five. And that's just kind of putting in perspective of how this game went, the the feel of it. And um but yeah, Michael, I think I think we have a a great opportunity to do so. We're if, if you're a top-ten team with top-ten recruiting classes every year, you have a good chance um, to do some special things.
1: Yeah, just, just in general. I mean, we've been lucky for, geez, the last like four or five years, we've seen some very good Penn State teams. And uh, mm-hmm. whenever there's a loss like this, it seems like everybody, go, it all go, goes haywire and everyone's ready to fire all the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. And I think people just need to take a step back and realize where the program's come from in the mm-hmm. last – five to eight years i would say yeah. um from obviously the sanctions we're not going to get into that but um they the franklin's really done a good job building this program up and um we're lucky to be consistently in the national conversation almost every year now obviously we struggled to get over to hump and some of the certain big games but we're right there um yeah. so to answer your question yeah i think that eventually they could possibly make a run for a national championship but obviously who knows
0: Yep. So, as we said, Penn State has a noon kickoff next week against Indiana, and we will have um, the weekly coverage of that with predictions, press conference coverage, and um, even more. And then Penn State, that's, so that's a noon kickoff. Then Penn State goes to Ohio State in two weeks to take on the Buckeyes. That's also a noon kickoff. And then to end the season, they play on their senior day, uh, against Rutgers at home, there's no official kickoff time for that, but just a guess, it'd be a noon kickoff. Probably going to be noon, yeah. Um, and then if you know if Penn State goes three and zero these next three weeks, then they're in Indianapolis on December seventh, yeah, possibly against Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin. Yeah, um, we'll
1: see. We will see. The playoff is still there.
0: Yes, Penn State fans, stay positive. There's still a lot to play for this year, even with this setback. And, you know, if this team keeps winning, they're going it, to accomplish their goals this year, for sure. So, for myself and my partner here, Brandon, uh, we thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, stay following For the Glory of Old State. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Um, our handle is at for the Glory O-O-S. Um, we've had a lot of new fans on our Twitter page. And keep following the website and the blog as well. Uh, We thank you guys for listening. Have a good day.